On today's episode of Photo, I've learned something in my journey, uh, which is that you can't control your reputation. You have no control over it. No matter what you think, that is the biggest misconception. That's the biggest mindfuck in our culture. I don't run from my emotions the way that we've been taught. We've been taught to push it under the rug, push it under the rug, go, keep go, go, go. Um, I don't do that. I mean, for people, if anybody thinks that certain negative comments don't bother me, certain ones don't and others do. When I was 19 years old, I finally got to a point where I reached my limit and I didn't want to wear a hijab anymore, so I decided to educate myself and in the way that I think Muslims should, which is reading the Holy Quran. What many people don't understand is that here in the States, it was very much the same. I mean, my dad would say, this is the, this is, and here's Palestine. Out there's America, but in here's Palestine. And what you follow is in here. That's what you follow. When I would go out, I mean, I would still carry that with me. And uh, what what was so cool about you, though, we discovered you like a few months ago. We read up a, a lot about you, read your blogs, you saw your YouTube channel. And and the recurring theme that we've been having with most of our guests is like how m- people like to break down a lot of stigma in the Middle East using humor. And you yourself, like you've been doing that for years right now, especially when you look at like being a relationship advisor, talking about sex, talking about like women and being judgmental in our society. And that's like pretty cool. So how did like, how did all this start? How, what was like, what initiated everything? Well, I'm, first of all, thank you for having me. I think, you know, this is so important to have these types of dialogues. And um, I started, as you read in my blog, 51 Fridays. And in that blog, I documented my dad's journey to marry me off before I was 25, which is like, you know how the Arab culture sees women over 25, like prehistoric dinosaurs officially expired, hence the name expired and fabulous. And um, I started off by having this blog that I just talked about my journey, my experiences, my questions, many of which men, nobody had ever asked before. Like nobody had ever asked why we can't date or why you should not want to, or if you want to, and if you have the interest, what you should be doing and what you should look out for. So I'm like, we need this. And I knew that it was happening in our community. So I said, well, let me start the dialogue. And in doing so, people started reaching out to me and sharing their story and wanting to tell me about the things they were going through. So we had built this like platform of like rebels and outcasts and misfits that nobody really wanted to talk to in this little community. Um, But it was very private. It was very like a very small knit group of people first. And then when I decided to start dating and I got into this relationship, um, which was again, very taboo. Like there's nothing that the Muslim Arab world hates more than the three Ds. Dating, I think you know the other, you know? Um, And of course, you know, they just don't like these three Ds. And it's like, and then here I was doing, I mean, it wasn't the divorce part yet, but I was in this position where um, I was dating and I was, you know, in this relationship. And when I decided to leave, because it had become very, very abusive, he threw my reputation out to everybody. So he told everybody I wasn't a verified V and that I was this and that. And it had exploded in the community because, you know, reputation is everything. And I was in a position where my reputation was completely destroyed, like out there, done. Everybody knew. And, you know, what people don't know, they add 
So it just kept growing and growing and growing. And I had no control over it. Anything to spice up the story, basically. Yeah. Oh, they spice, you know, then you have like 10 kids and you're like, where are they? I'm such a bad parent, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I was in this position where it got so big, so much bigger than myself. And it affected my business. It affected my, my, the people who would turn to me, who were now my clients. Um, And I was like, well, how do I own this? What do I do now? And... That's when I put up a camera and I decided to share my story and tell people my side of what was going on, share the stories of the people who were silenced in the community. And comedy seemed like the best thing to use because comedy, if you can't laugh about it, then you're going to cry about it and you, you need yeah. to cry, but you've got to have a balance, you know? And so I was doing a lot of fucking crying. So I'm like, can I curse guys? Can I curse? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Please do. Okay. Please do. Um, so I'm like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely okay. please curse so I'm we in this position it. where it's like I'm, I'm all these people are like fucking just talking and I'm like you know I want to make something funny out of this so if you can't fucking cry about it if you're going to fucking cry about it you got to laugh about it so I found a balance and mm. I decided that it would I would use comedy as a platform to sort of bridge the gap between a world so many people truly don't understand because they don't get to see it or hear it or really understand what's happening at the root and also share my healing you know comedy is my healing that's how i heal and that's how i was able to see myself see the situation see my culture and my faith without hating it because there was a point Mm -hmm. i fucking hated it i hated my culture i hated the people in it i hated my faith i hated the people in it as well there was so much like anger and i just i needed a way to channel that and so comedy seemed like the best the best tool to use in order to make people laugh to change you know mm. and i think you're you're a unique i don't know i mean maybe this is just because of the research we've done but like you're a unique example of someone doing that because you said it yourself there's there's two ways you can go about it you can completely just mentally break down and cry and feel kind of suffocated or you can channel that and you know laugh about it and not only laugh about it try to help others because I think there are so many girls who probably have been in situations similar to yours who did not take that route. Yeah, and I'm sure like even through uh, like through our experiences growing up in Lebanon, we have met a lot of girls as well that were in similar situations to as you found yourself in, what, whether it was through relationship, whether it was through going out or whether it was through having a certain type of social life. And yeah, it's like challenging. And I'm sure like, how did you have like the courage at the time to just go out and put yourself out there because i think i read in one of your blogs that you came from a, quite a conservative family as well absolutely and you know you just said it that that what fueled me was the other women going through it i wasn't mm. alone yeah you know i yeah. had heard many women who had resorted to suicide who had been forced into marriages who had gone th- down the road of addiction who had lost themselves completely because of things like this and i was like this is just enough like it's enough already what the fuck is this and so i just thought somebody needs to say something and i'm fucking loud mouth so i'll do it and you know here's the thing i feel like my family always knew this too my family always knew i was going to be a big fucking disappointment they're like oh, this one's going to be a problem you know from the beginning and <laughs> yeah. it was because yeah. it's I, just the last trial. Had yeah. <laughs> I always had questions and i just never I could never settle on the, oh, well, this is just how things are. Oh, well, this is how things are for women. Oh, well, that's how you're a woman and you're supposed to do that. Oh, well, you're, he's a man and he can get away with it. And this, I just, it never settled well with me. And I, it's interesting because you feel alone in your community because nobody talks about this and nobody says they're, 
the opinions that sort of, you know, um, rebuttal whatever the master opinion everywhere, but the common um, dominant opinion. And so you feel alone. But when I came out and I started talking, I realized I was not alone. There were many other people who had voiced their opinions on the same concerns and were just tired of it, but needed somebody that would be willing to just push down the wall and say it. And and, that, and I was the one who was, yeah, I was willing enough to do it. And I think and actually angry you enough, have... Angry enough. <laughs> Yeah, angry with, with enough passion as well and, and with enough humor. Angry gets shit done, by the way. Yeah, always. no, there's... Yeah. Always. Well, except in this country, but... We're very, yeah, yeah. Th this country makes things shittier. But I Let think me you tell have you, though, even in Lebanon, like, in Le like, I have clients internationally. I've heard clients in Lebanon, the UAE, Abu Dhabi, like, uh, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, all, same problem. We are all feel facing the same thing. People think because like we're here in the States, it's different and we might have it a little bit easier. And to a certain degree, we may, you know, but because we have a more freedom where we can say something and it's not like we're going to have issues with necessarily like the government or our family might lose this. It's not going to be the issue. We, you can you can speak up, but the the community is what makes it hard and how tight knit in the tribalism within our culture, uh, that's what makes it very difficult to speak up. So that's universally felt, whether in the States or overseas. Mm. And Faisal, just for context, for anyone who, you know, maybe doesn't understand about the type of things that we're talking about, who is outside of Arab society, what type of things would lead to someone, you know, being shunned in the community or being made fun of or, or oh. shit being spread like wildfire? How much time do we have? Um, <laughs> we the can go list. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> Especially this, this topic. We're here to listen. You can do anything and get shot in this community, but I think the common things um, are dating, premarital shish kebabing, um, <laughs> you know, having a kid out of wedlock, um, divorce, if, you, if the divorce is blamed on you, and it'll always, almost always be blamed on the woman. Um, so, you know, divorce. Uh, being part of the LGBTQ plus community. I mean, I just posted, I, I started a secret series. I just posted a story where I read somebody who was in the LGBTQ yeah. plus community. I lost 3000 followers overnight because of it. So that just goes to show you there's very little you can, that you need to do to be ostracized in this community, sadly. Um, and I think that that's the problem. That's the, that's the fucking problem in our community. The, the quick and easy way they'll abandon you for just simply being different. You know, I think that's a problem. Yeah, and that ties back to like the issue that we have over here where it's like reputation based, how internationally people's reputations always matters, but I think it's really antagonized and there's so much spotlight put on your reputation in the Arab society in general. And people sometimes tend to act differently in public just so that they can please others and not put their reputation quote unquote at risk. For instance, maybe somebody else, if they had the same influence that you had, might have not posted the thing about the LGBTQ society because they might have been like, oh, I might lose 2,000 followers or people are going to look at me differently or this is not as accepting as my other posts. And I think that's a very big problem that we have. And you've spoken about on so many yeah, different situations. Yeah, no, no, I think definitely with reputation. And I think one of the scariest things is people maybe outside looking in don't realize how close we are to our family yeah. like honestly us arabs family is everything for us way more than than i think europeans and, and people from the west like even you know you move out of your house here at what the average age is like 30 when you move out from from your parents house Bro, sometimes you move, you, might, you move out here when you get married when you get married, get married. Exactly. no and, yeah. and there, are, yeah. there are certain situations as well where you get married and you still live with your parents yeah yeah, yeah which is by the way <laughs> Joe, I don't know. It might happen, bro. It might happen. <laughs> but I, I, I think 
I think that's what's so interesting about you. And, and, and what I was the point I was trying to make is that you have the best name on Instagram, Expired and Fabulous. And I think, would you like to give us the context as to why you've labeled yourself Expired and Fabulous? Oh, well, you know, thank you very much, everyone. You know, just big head, you know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You guys are so fucking sweet. Um, uh, because I am expired. I'm over 25. I'm there not married. Um, <laughs> my dad would always say, this was a common theme in our community, that if you were over 25, as I said, and then you were not married, you were officially considered expired, unmarriageable, not as attractive as the younger women in the community. So I was like, I would always tell my dad, I was like, well, I'm going to be expired, but I'll still be fabulous, you know? And I had the hijab on at that time, so I would like flap, you know, with my hijab. And I was very proud of that. I thought, well, all right, that's fine. I don't really see myself as an expiration. And if I'm going to, I'm going to make it my own. I'll own it, you know, which is something I've learned, especially with just to kind of go back, segue to what you said about reputation. Um, you know, I've learned something in my journey, uh, which is that you can't control your reputation. You have no control over it. No matter what you think, that is the biggest misconception. That's the biggest mind fuck in our culture that they tell you you can control this and you cannot because all it takes is one person to say, yet a lot. I've never been able to snap. That was the first time I just did that. <laughs> I was so into it. <laughs> yeah, oh because God. you're around other Arabs. We bring it out. <laughs> we bring, it out bring that you. aggression out in you. I was so I into think it's it too. Afro. Um, but you can't control it. You can't. No matter how many times you think you can, and somebody just takes one thing, they say one thing, you're done. That's it. Yeah. And if people want to believe it, they'll believe it. And we live in the type of community and the type of society as a world. I mean, look at cancel culture even here. It's the same yeah. thing. Cancel. We had we we were the ones who created cancel culture. Back literally BC, like BC, before Christ, yeah. we were creating cancel culture. <laughs> before it became mainstream. Yeah. Before it became mainstream. <laughs> we literally did this. And it's like, it's the biggest mindfuck. That's all I can say. It's the biggest mindfuck. Because they tell you you can and you think you walk the straight and narrow path believing that don't post this, don't say that, don't act like this, don't dress like that, don't dance that way, don't or that. We, we tell ourselves this because they tell us other people will talk. But what they other don't people. tell you is they're going to fucking talk anyway. They're going to talk anyway. Yeah. And they're going to want so something I guess it's to how talk you, about. I guess it's the education you can do from, from your side and even from our end and everything is just how you uh like how you yourself perceive the gossip like because it's very tough for you to just be like you know what people are talking shit about me i'm gonna you know give them the finger and just move on and whatever because whether we like it or not most of us are insecure the shit gets to us especially in such a close-knit society like we have here in lebanon and 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 with what you grew up in so it's like how do you just kind of disassociate yourself from all that gossip and all that bullshit. I what think, can you do? I think like from a personal experience, I think it comes down to like the type of person you are and like the mental strength that you have. Like you could go two ways when it comes to this because I've seen people that you also know that chose to, you know what, I'm going to try to be a people pleaser and I'm going to try to please everyone and always put my make my reputation perfect. But then inside they become insecure as fuck. Or you could take the other route where you just be yourself and as long as you're self-satisfied, you don't care what people think because you, as you mentioned earlier, people will always talk and trying to always, that my, my perception is just do what you do and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also you're, like, just yeah. to add on that, like, I will say, um, it does bother, you know, it bothers. And I think that it, 
people have this like belief that oh it's like fuck you done that that's I'm, I'm a human being you know i still have emotions i still have feelings and i still i still have my my insecurities you know which these are things i think people should keep to themselves because i think people use those things against you um and i personally you know i have my hard times but the way that i'm able to lift myself up is because i go through that hardship and i allow myself to process it i don't run from my emotions the way that we've been taught we've been taught to push it under the rug, push it under the rug, go, keep go, go, go. Um, I don't do that. I mean, for people, if anybody thinks that certain negative comments don't bother me, certain ones don't and others do. But the ones that do, I sit with it. I don't let it just brush off and let it go. I literally will take the time to sit with that thought and be like, Faiza, why is this bothering you so much? Like literally I'll sit and I'll be like, I can't say the word I'm thinking right now, but I'm like, why, you, why is it bother you that they think this about you? And I'd be thinking, it starts with an S, okay, everyone know? Mm. We can guess. So I'm like sitting and I'll sit and I'm like, why does it bother me so much? And it's because deep down inside, we all care. We do care. There's a part of you and we should, you should want to be in a world where people see you and people can accept you. But I also do have the side where yes, I do want that, but I also recognize that's not always going to happen. And if I know me enough, and I can recognize my own self and what I truly believe in, those things aren't gonna bother me at the end of the day. Um, and if it does for a week, a month, two months, a year even, I process and I move on. So I think that the, the most, what I'm trying to stress here is that it's not that I'm just fuck you and done. You know, nobody's like that. It's more so I can be empowered by the things I've become strong about and I've become strong about them because I've processed, I've found myself in it. Do I really believe that? Do I really agree with that? Do I correlate with those beliefs? No. All right. Well then navigate your own way. Um, so it's, it's a process to stop giving a fuck. It's not something that happens overnight at all. You did mention something previously that you, you grew up with a hijab, right? And we saw in some videos you've spoken about that. Um, so I kind of, I know you've spoken about this before, but if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, when was the moment you said, you know what, I'm taking this off and, and I'm doing me essentially. Um, so, <laughs> this is always a subject that gets me in so much trouble and I don't know why, like we're so, <laughs> why are we so timid that we can't have a conversation about hijab? It's just become such an encompass of our faith. It's quite sad. Um, I, yes, I wore hijab when I was very young. It wasn't a choice. I've said this many, many times. This was something that was required of me. It was not only required of me by my family, it was required of me by the Muslim school that I went to as well. So I went to an Islamic institution where you had to, it was part of the uniform. Um, and in both forums, I, I was never told that I had a choice in this. And one of the many misconceptions about our faith is that there's an elimination of choice you know, and if you eliminate choice from our faith, it doesn't exist. And so I, again, as I told you, being the kid that just could never just sit on a thought, I, I just always bothered me. I'm like, well, I'm not choosing to wear this. And, and everything in our faith is about intention. Well, God knows I don't, I don't want to wear it. So why am I wearing it? You know? And yet anytime I had those thoughts, it was always push it under, push it under, keep on going. And when I was 19 years old, I finally got to a point where I reached my limit and I didn't want to wear hijab anymore. So I decided to educate myself and in the way that I think Muslims should, which is reading the Holy Quran 
and I read um, Surat Al-Ahzab and Surat Al-Nur, which talk, discuss the only two surahs that discuss uh, hijab, and, and I realized it was a choice, which they don't tell you, you know? Mm -hmm. And I realized I, in fact, had a decision in this. And if I chose not to do it, there were other ways that I can practice modesty. And that modesty was a great many other things besides just a hijab. And I think, as I said, that that gets lost. So I re recognized I did, in fact, have a choice. I did, in fact, go to speak to two different sheikhs about this to you know, kind of just get support. So when I went to go talk to my dad <laughs> and um, I went and I spoke to him and my dad knew it was true. He did not deny it. Um, he didn't question. He didn't want the sin of it. And so he said, all right, that's fine. But you're not going to dress like kind of like the way that you mm. want to, like, don't get too no. westernized about the way you dress, which you know, that boat sailed. But hijab is so much, you know, again, I think hijab is beautiful. Mm. Um, most of the people in my life, most of the women in my life wear hijab. I'm literally one of the only ones who doesn't. Um, and so I, I think it's, you know, many people think I have this, this dislike for it, but it's not true at all. I think hijab is beautiful. I think that it is literally hijabi women are some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. Again, if it's your choice, that's a beautiful thing. As long as it's your choice, if it's not pressured, guilted, or forced, I think hijab is beautiful. Um, and if it's pressured, guilted, or forced, then I think it loses its beauty because then it's no longer being done for the right reasons it's being done for man rather than god and so i just don't correlate with doing things for people i do things for god and so i carry my modesty as as i am what's interesting is like you took it into your own interpretation and i think that's the thing that i wanted to ask like how do you balance what you actually want from the inside with your faith because sometimes certain things in your faith may tell you well, that's not okay, and you should do this, and this is how you should be living your life. But when, how do you set your own interpretation of it? I, I think that uh, we don't necessarily, I mean, how we choose to practice is very different from interpretation. I think that uh, we, there's not much to interpret. It's very clear. I just think that people have overcomplicated it. And mm -hmm. I think that, as I said, I mean, it's Surat Al-Hizab, Surat Al-Nur. People should open it up. I mean, they should read it. You shouldn't just read it in Arabic. You should read the context. You should read the English translation. It's there for a reason. And these scholars have actually gone through thorough research to really document this as pr closely as possible. And I mean, as I said, I just, I think that if you have to seek out your own understanding and then how you choose to practice it, I mean, it, it, and Surah Al-Nur talks about how if, if you were to fall short, you know, if a Muslim woman was to fall short and not necessarily practice in the way that it says, then Allah is oft forgiving, most kind, most merciful, right? Why do we forget those things? Why don't they tell us those things? Why don't they give us the option to understand that, in fact, there is a line between finding yourself through this? And... I'm not afraid to make mistakes. If it's a sin, if I'm committing a sin, well, then that's between me and God. It's not between me and anybody else. So I, mm -hmm. I, I see it's not more about, let me interpret it in my own, own way. It's more of God has told me I have a choice. And if I choose to follow it this way while handling myself with the respect and modesty that a hijab, I would be the same way with a hijab on. So if I'm handling myself that same way and I can keep a man at a distance because I know how to respect myself. Am I not acting in accordance as a Muslim woman? You you are. And I think like it goes back to what you said in the sense that people, especially in our region, I feel, 
don't actively try to really understand these rules that are set upon them from the older generation not only here dude everywhere like even in yeah. the states i like honestly uh, feza you're one of the few people whom i know like uh, one of the few practicing muslims who actually read you know, actual religious books most of them they just follow it because of what they've been told yeah and it's an assumption ju- yeah. you know yeah, yeah. and we think about like for example this whole part about what was it what sorry uh, like for example why is it the first time i've ever heard of it mm. i don't think either of us in this room has why but maybe we, we're, we're not we're, we're not, not we're not the best example yeah. i mean we're non we're bro we live it, we live in a pro- predominantly muslim country and it's it's one it seems like it's one of the very important points to be made That's across and, why isn't it and made? to go deeper than that like you have like countries especially like saudi arabia for instance where the role of the woman is not that important and where the ma- the male has a lot of say in like how society is supposed to function so I'm sure maybe a lot of women in Saudi Arabia don't know that, that hijab is a choice. It's not something that must be bestowed on them. And it's so become such Faiza, a conversation that if uh, you even say, here's the thing, that even if you say it's a choice, they attack you for saying that. Yeah, 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 yeah. you've said true. something wrong. And, if, and, I, and to me, that, it's very scary in the sense to see that reality check that, why would you not want people to why would you not want anyone to believe we live in a faith that says if you choose not to do this there are many other things i need you to do many other things like don't gossip don't destroy reputations don't do this there's a plenty of other things that's not followed and so you're going to encompass it because i'm a woman you're going to encompass it down to dilute it down to a hijab and that if i don't do that then i'm no longer a decent muslim woman i think that there's a level that sounds a lot like people who want to control and there is no control in our faith and if you have you, you can't have the two c's contradicting each other like you can't do that you can't have control and then have this freedom this abundance of freedom for people you just can't do that it does it just contradicts itself islam is if it's either free or it's repressive that's it if that's there's no. there's one there's not one mm. way or another there's no in between, there's yeah. between. and it, i think that what people and it's like islam i say this all the time islam was birthed to give women freedom i mean we were mm. talking about a time when what females babies were buried because nobody wanted to fucking deal with the problem and so you had women that didn't many didn't have choice many women went to the prophet muhammad to seek his protection because they didn't have that so what does that tell you this is a faith that was very open very understanding very protective of women of their expression so i think that when i i stopped hating my faith because i educated myself because yeah. had I had I Come had on. I stayed in what the Muslims were telling me, I would have hated my faith. And I think a lot of people never give me credit because many people tell me you're not Muslim, you're the Dajjal, which shit. You're, you're not you're not the Muslim that they want you to be. Uh, they're not you're not the Muslim that they market you Islam. Yeah. Find your, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, I say you're it all the time. I'm like, listen, if what you define as a Muslim is so distorted. You have the same perception of a Muslim that the American public does, that they put on the TV. You have that perception. I don't have that perception of my faith. I come from a faith that is open. I come from a faith that is understanding. I come from a faith that is protective, like that's not looked down, not degrading, not murderous, nothing like that. So I don't, I don't practice that faith and I don't practice it because I read the Quran. That's what we should be doing. I, I have an interesting situa- situation for you. Imagine that you were not raised because the fact that you were raised in the states and you had like the states market itself of being more open-minded than a liberal country and free speech 
what if your childhood and what if you spend most of your years, let's say in a conservative Arab country, so let's say Saudi Arabia or Dubai, Qatar, or regardless, yeah. Jordan, even Lebanon, with a more with the conservative family that you had, so and so your entire surroundings, both at home and out, outside, was very conservative. Do you think that you would have rebelled the same way that you rebelled right now and educated yourself in the same way, or do you think that you might have been more hypnotized by society? Well, I believe we are who we are, you know. So I think, yeah. of course, I would have, I would have, I would have gone ahead and probably done the very same thing, because I think that um, what many people don't understand is that here in the states it was very much the same. I mean, my dad would say, "This is the, this is, and here's Palestine. Out there's America, but in here's Palestine, and what you follow is in here. That's what you follow." When I would go out, I mean, I would still carry that with me, and although I mean, I'd have been in an Arab country, here was in an Arab country. Here was stuck at home. Here was stuck into the cultural mindset. So even when I went out, I always felt like the Little Mermaid. You know, part I want to be part of their worlds. Like you know, I was. <laughs> I thought that. Like I wanted. I would walk out and be like, Oh, look at all this. Isn't it beautiful? You know. But I'm glad. I'm glad you didn't choose Aladdin, by the way. Yeah, I'm glad you went with the Little Mermaid. <laughs> Listen, I just like. I couldn't, so I feel like, you know, even if I would have been in, and I was actually raised in Palestine for five years. Like I was over, when we were here in the States, we went straight overseas. I was there for five years, came here. So that mindset was very, although I was much younger, it was still very deeply rooted. When my aunt and everything who was like a second mother to me, like she was somebody who would constantly drill these things in. So I think I would have still done that because I would have, I was still probably living the same exact life, just in a very different place. Now, granted, I do understand that living in the Middle East is a very different perspective, but if yeah. I believe that we're all created as we are, and I probably still would have done that. I don't know if I would have survived it, but I would have. I would have done it. <laughs> That's another topic. That's yeah. Another yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's well, su- sur- survive and Middle East in the same sentence is a is, is a tough uh, is a tough sell. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough sell. But I think I think going on. Going on to your point, I mean, it is it is definitely opening up here. I think uh, Lebanon, especially as a country in itself, is I would say probably the most liberal Arab country in terms of in terms of yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah morals. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying in terms of how it functions. I'm saying in terms yes, of how we yes, think. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And like sure. in terms of like the woman's role in society, even though it's not great, but it's like better than other it's defi- places. I think I definitely. Say. And I think yeah. you you were touching on a point, and this is a point that always fucking pisses me off, is how the Middle East is portrayed in the West. This is something I've never understood. Number one, when you say Middle East in the West, the first, first, first thing that pops up into someone's head. Oh, do you ride on camels? Do you carry AK-47? Well, that and it's, it's Middle East Islam. It's Middle East and Islam. Islam. Extreme, extremism, it, it, extreme and, form it, of ex- and Islam. Yeah, an extreme form of Islam, like mm. kind of uh, like under Sharia law. And it's, it's not always the case. Like it's really not always the case. People are always shocked when we say we have Christians here. Like everyone in this room is half Christian. Sorry, Joe's full Christian and we're half Christian. So like, it's always- Only it, on paper though. On paper, yeah, I know. But it's still like this big shock. And, and that's something when I, when I go abroad, I'm always trying to tell people like, don't just view the region through our religion. Like we're way more than that. And don't prove- we have a amazing culture rich that, and a rich history and, and, and a diversity that people don't really tend to see in the media media and also like in movies as well like in most mainstream movies the way that the middle east is portrayed is like a fucking war zone dude don't even get me started on american sniper yeah exactly like that's a, one of the best movies I've yeah but you know here's the thing guys i mean it's like here uh, this is also the importance of us as as in our culture and to encourage art to encourage the things that are not always encouraged that 
need and can put us in a position for the world to see us differently, to see the culture in the way we know it. I mean, we can't expect the world to know our culture and to know how to portray us when we ourselves are not putting ourselves in a position to make ourselves heard, to make an image that's there that, that we have claimed, you know? I mean, we need we also need to take responsibility. I mean, that's what I love about especially on social media, there's so many Muslim yeah. artists, whether even Arab, whether you're Muslim or not, there's our culture is all being shown in a way that I think can better us and how we're perceived in the world. And, and mm. yeah, put us in a different limelight. I mean, we have, we know our culture. It's on us to show it. It really is. One of the long-term views that we have with this podcast is to eventually in the long term to have like a very big platform where we just basically try to show the world like all this concept and stigma behind Middle Eastern culture is not fucking true and that there's way more to us than as Ryan was saying and as we're all saying war and extremism and all that shit and that we're actually cool people. Yeah, yeah dude, we're fucking funny. Yeah. Arabs are the fucking yeah. I'm not saying it because because we're Arab, but we are a really funny very group funny of people. people and and we're we're very high in temperament and uh, you we're know, just very we're emotional. Loud, yeah, we're yeah, loud yeah. and we gesticulate a lot with our hands and we're, we're funny like we're like, we're, like know, like we're like, like Italians. We're like Italian. Yeah, that's, that's how we get along. That's why so many people never think, like with my mom being Italian, people thought the culture conflict would have been so different. It wasn't. It was the same. You walk into a room, it's like a fucking it's chaos. The same thing. It's chaos. So I, you know, but like I said, it's on us. It's on us to show our culture. That's what I love about you doing this podcast. The comedians out there, the artists out there, the DJs, the belly dancers, everything. Even your platform as well. Even your oh. platform as well. Listen, I can't talk about myself. You have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we, we will talk about you. We will, we will throw compliments your way. And, and, and another thing I really wanted to touch on was, um, so I just wanted to know, because you, you grew up in Chicago. How, how long have you been in Chicago? Um, I was for? in Chicago for oh, decades, decades. Decades. Okay. So as a uh, Muslim, which you like to which you refer like to, to yourself. Yeah, yeah as Muslim Arabs. How is it like? What's the dating scene like there? Like, do you do you specifically look for for Arab guys, Arab guys, Muslim guys, or is it just you know more whatever? Listen, you boys learned nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell. Um, the scene. Uh, the scene is stupid. Okay, it's a whole <laughs> bunch of stupid. That's what <laughs> the scene is. Uh, the scene is. <sighs> what I I would call um, desolate. I think that there is there is so many issues with our, our culture in this community that I people women have actually been pushing Muslim guys away. They don't want anything to do with them. I mean, um, I have dated out of the culture. I've been very public about this. And I I think that for it's more about personally finding someone you connect with. You know, and I think it's important to find somebody that you connect with spiritually, find somebody you connect with um, personally um, that you're compatible with. Compatibility for women in our culture is very hard because you have women who have been so silenced, who have been second to their brothers, to their cousins, to their every male in their family. So at the point when they meet an Arab guy who is, and this is what oftentimes happens, this is not every Arab guy in this community, but... What oftentimes happens is these are mamas, like not, I don't call them mama's boys because there's nothing wrong with mama's boys. It's umbilical yeah. boys. Guys who are still <laughs> on the umbilical cord, you know, like that's an umbilical boy is a problem. Um, and he, like, that's what you find, umbilical boys that that are, well, do this with my mom. My mom is patient about this. My mom does this. My mom does that. This, 
So then the women get very un, it's just unattractive. So mm, they want to date their mom essentially. Yeah. They want to they want to marry their mom. They want to groom the woman that they're seeing into their mother. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I think we've definitely seen that. I think yeah. <laughs> I think we've definitely seen let's, that over here. I yeah. mean, it's like let's be honest, our culture is very I love us, but we our culture is very patriarchal. It's a very it's a culture no, run definitely. by men. It is a culture that does cater to men. Um, guys can get away with things, girls can't. Um, so the disgust for many that many Muslim women and Arab women in general have at times towards Arab men, it's sort of founded. It's understandable, um, and that's with all due respect because that's not every Arab man. Um, just like there's stigmas about Arab women, you know, and um, some are very true, you know. <laughs> we have tempers i will say but um it's just it's not we have a lot of healing to do as a people i can't say that enough and let me tell you my most most of my clients are musrab okay most of my clients are muslim most of my clients are arab uh both male female whether you know doesn't matter their sexual orientation and the deepest issues i see are the cultural issues um a deep need to find their identity balance between where they are here in the States and the freedom and wanting to be themselves and express themselves as they are. And then the culture that says, no, you've got to be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know? Um, so the dating scene is, it's complicated for everybody. I can say that. Yeah, and it's also it's like, we also talk about this a lot, like the double standards when it comes to dating in the Arab society, whether it's like, the guy always getting preferential treatment and not necessarily just with dating but like i've seen this with some friends and people that i know just oh you're a guy you can go study abroad for university whereas the girl can't go study abroad for university and there are so many other situations i can bring up and i'm sure you, you being a relationship advisor i'm sure you've have a lot of clients who probably told you about these types of double standards i personally i just... personally dealt with it i know many others who have yes i mean it's it's a fact, guys. It's a fact. Yeah, I mean, guys, I, I, there's I, I, a double standard. I'll, I'll, see, I'll you know? see how parents like treat their kids. For instance, when it comes to dating, like there would be like a brother and a sister that are like one or two years apart with the with the brother. They'd be like, "Oh, you should go out. It's your time to date. You should have the woman running all over you and blah blah." But the sister, they're like, "You can't even date before marriage." Can't leave the country. Yeah, yeah, and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And, it's like, and, and I think we and I think you you mentioned that with family and also in and with friends and amongst society. There's the term. So if a guy's going out, if a guy's getting laid every single night, if a guy's seen with twenty girls at a club, he's tight. He's basically called a jagger. You know what a jagger means. <laughs> So he's 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 a, he's a fucking jagger, right? A cool guy, basically. A cool guy, a player, uh, uh, you know, uh, a man of the night. Can I say a man uh, of the night? Uh, I don't know. Stud, I think. <laughs> is what I'm stud, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Stud muffin, yeah. So, and then you take that exact same scenario and you twist it and you put the girl in that situation. And obviously, we've all been to school here in Lebanon. We know what happens with when the girl Sharmuta. Sharmuta. Okay, I'm so glad you guys just said Sharmuta because I've wanted to say it this whole fucking time and I didn't think I could <laughs> no you, we said you could curse you could say guys, it. Curse. I, the Middle East is so five times for good like you guys love and hate me over there it's like I, sometimes when people want me to say it they don't want me to say it I don't know but it's like let me tell you is there a female is there a male version of Sharmuta is there Sharmut but it's not as it's like it's not as the connotation behind Sharmut is a, mo a lot more playful yeah. like ah oh, Sharmut and yeah. Yeah. it's like when you call somebody a man whore yeah yeah uh, yeah like basically. here's the, let me tell you this it's it's what my ex did to me 
was common because they, that's how a culture is. If you go out and throw a man's reputation, oh, it was found out that Hussein was dating. It's going to be like, oh, I wonder who he was dating. I wonder if they did anything, you know? They're going to they have big conversations. They're going to big conversations. Everyone's going to like have big times to tell us everything. Was it good or bad? You know, it's, it's, it's the conversation. Fun times. If a girl does it, it's a problem. It's a big problem. She's a sharmuta. She's a whore. She comes from an immoral family. That's what my ex did. He knew he could do that. And guys like him know they can do that towards women because the reputation falls on the women. It doesn't fall on the men. It's not if he goes off and does something, the family's reputation is destroyed unless you were caught maybe. And you better have been caught. They better have caught you, walked in and saw you doing the act to believe it even happened because guys get so much freedom in this. You know, that's the truth. The whole thing about witnesses, men don't need witnesses. I mean, women don't need witnesses. The men do. You better, you better be solid, have solid proof. Tell us this happened. For a woman, you can go throw it out. Anyone will believe anything. That's the mistreatment of women in our culture. That It's disgusting. It really is, and it's unfair. And it's universally throughout the Arab world. Although I will say, yeah. in Lebanon, uh, what I love is how progressive Lebanon is. I mean, you guys have your way to go, but in the Middle East, you're yeah. a hell of a lot further than anybody else. No, I'll agree. I'll I'll agree. No, we're, I'll like, we're like the fucking for, Cancun of the Middle East. For now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless they bomb us back to the fucking no, no, Stone no, Age. No, but we are. I think that Lebanese women have... <sighs> have always been the women who have fought hardest for the voice, for our voice to be heard. And they were the trailblazers in many ways. And I think that, you know, and that's great, but the, as, as the Arab world, as a culture, we need men to stop fucking standing in our way and speak up and say, yes, this is happening. This is because guys deny this. I mean, you see it also all over social media. And then anytime I post a video, what, what, tell me what is this happens? It's always one fucking guy that has to pop up. <laughs> give so, me one yeah, example, exactly. Habib. Then you give you them one example. It's like, all right, give me four examples, Habib. Yeah. It's always like, give, give, I'll give you 12. And it's, it's like, sir, what are, you're not even a woman. What are you talking about? Like, where did you come from? You know? And then sadly, you have the women who see themselves through the eyes of men because the culture has been so deeply rooted here that they're their own they're the enemies of us as well because they become any woman who wants to speak freely who wants to be progressive who wants to conform who wants to just be her own self then you have those women coming backing those men so we need really we need the men to, to stop doing it and giving voices because if you do it then the women who sadly are mind fucked by this are going to continuously be to be a problem as well but it men need to speak up about it and say that this which is true tough. which is tough because arab men in general and i will generalize here but arab men like we're fucking experts on everything like have you ever met like an arab guy who does not know how to do something <laughs> never you know what i mean he like, does not he knows i know everything i know, no, I know the, everything. the table is broken Shubit. bro the yeah, only I mean, thing I that they know arab men the only thing that they know how to do is to say that i know everything yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah that's yeah, the only yeah, thing yeah, there's not a problem that is so true even even if it's something is like a woman like you have your period let me let me tell you i know how to make beds hold on i make you hibiscus tea and i mix it in with uh the the shy of the nectar of god and we make yeah yeah no it's 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 yeah it's ridiculous it's very true it's what type of things do you as as you know as as a relationship advisor as a counselor as an expert what type of things do you can you say to to help educate people and get them out of this kind of thinking oh listen listen fucking be beyonce listen for a moment you know that's it just be beyonce (laughs) (laughs) okay that's good advice easy (laughs) that's good advice no, 
you got you got to listen. You have got to just open your ears and and stop thinking that your experience is is a universal experience. I mean, there are other people who have hardships and the sad part is the reason it's so like mind-blowing to so many people to think there's people in the LGBTQ plus community, there's people who are women with voices and there's women with all of this is so such a earthquake eruption for everybody because those voices have never been heard. They don't want. They haven't been able to be to, to be heard. They haven't been able to talk. They've been able to raise their voices. So at that point, you should listen. Listen to what they're saying. Listen for a moment. Put yourself in the back seat, and say maybe get off the hubris, you know, on your high horse. Because well, the Arabs treat their horses better than they treat their people. It's like think about the fact True. that it's like. Treat, listen, listen to what's going on. Hear the different perspectives. Hear the journeys of what's happening. Because if you're not experiencing it, why are you talking about it? There are so many men that come to talk about women's issues when they're not women. There are so <laughs> many. No, true, I'm yeah. serious. Like coming to talk. It's like you're not a woman. Why don't you listen to what the women are saying? Mm. Why don't you listen to what's happening? You know? Because I know the uterus better than the woman knows the uterus. Yeah. That is uh, how it is, you know. I show you, I show you, I show you the uterus. Uh, well, uh, that's all you need to show. Show a video of the Arab men in a room when, whenever a woman says something. Look at their faces like... You don't even... They don't have to say anything. You just see their, fa their faces say, Oh, I know better. I'm going to say it after them. It's like, shut up and listen. Listen to what's happening here because they don't... They're very blind to what's happening. And, um, I mean, we see it. We know what's going on. This is why we... People like, can, like you and I connect. And it's like, that's what we need more of. Just listen. Fucking listen to what's uh, happening. And Educate I think, like, yourself. this is a generational thing. Like, I think now, like, with the innovation of the internet and stuff, people's voices are being heard more. People are... In like, the mass populations are being more aware of what's going on. And I think, like, when we become older... And when our kids are our age, I think obviously we're still going to have certain issues with our society when it comes to this. But I think like the role of the woman in society will be, especially in the Arab society, is going to be way different than it is now. And you could see it like over the past 10 years, how many more women have become vocal about talking about so many issues that 10, 15 years ago would have been so much more like taboo and looked down upon and frowned upon. And they would have been like completely like exiled from society. And now it's like different, like. 15 years ago 20 years ago a girl like Faiza wouldn't have had the platform yeah, to even yeah, go and talk and speak what's on her mind and gain like a following about choice it's not about yeah. pressure it's not about conforming and just be respectful of that and I think what's going to be important for something like this is when you come here and you give us your Middle Eastern tour and you go country through country and you start educating and I think we can all get on board with something like that because I think we need yeah, that's what we need. That's what we need. We need. We need, we need no, it is. Education. It's so needed. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Like I will occasionally, like with clients, every like so sometimes once a week, twice a week. It got to twice a week with COVID, just because so many people were struggling. Um, but we would do these private Zoom courses where we would sit and talk about the subjects that many people's families and their community will not talk about. That we could just feel safe to do it privately rather than on an Instagram Live or anything where people are going to be bombarding with negative comments, sidetracking people. And I've had a lot of people overseas um, that you just realize how important it is that we start having these conversations. Um, we can save lives. Well, we could save lives. We can save people's um, mental health, um, people's, because mental health is not talked about, and people struggle mentally in, in the Middle East. People struggle here mentally, people struggle over there mentally. Like, 
people are struggling. So I think that we all need to get on board with loving our each other enough to want to see us further our, our lives individually so that we could do it collectively as a people, right? That's what's needed. People to do the individual work so that we could collectively do greater things as the Arab world. Look how divided the Arab world is even. Look, it's not just, I mean, it's it's sad where we're at as, as a people, as, as, as a sex. Like, it's just sad. It's sad where we're at. We could do better. And we can do better. I believe we will. I know we will. This is the generation that's going to change so much. We're already doing it. We really yeah, are. Inshallah. I agree. I agree. Inshallah. Inshallah. Yeah, inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're all looking forward to the day you come to Lebanon. Likewise. We meet. Yeah, we, we'll, we introduce we'll, you to our friends. Yeah. We'll party if that's an we'll option. Party. <laughs> okay, we party. Yeah. You know, you know this. We can party. We'll, we'll party. party, we'll party. You know, you know, it's true what they say. Nobody parties like Arabs, yeah. man. That's, <laughs> yes. that's, that's a fact. I yeah. Think. Oh, there's so many so beautiful I, things about our culture that I think is beautiful. And, you know, it's, keeping traditions alive is important. We can, we can become, we can conform, but we have to also keep our traditions alive. That's super important. Mm. you said keeping traditions alive how do you uh, i want to be like so careful how i say this but how do you not become whitewashed and while living in america so and I, I don't know if that's a very critical term but like how do you keep that yeah like the arab identity because when you go outside of your door you're you're in the u.s and everything is different and there's not kind of anything close to your culture out there so how do you keep that yeah that identity Keeping your identity is hard anywhere you go. Let me tell you. I just think that it's about finding traditions you align with and um, what you're balanced with, what you're comfortable with, and uh, keeping to those. Let me tell you, there are many things here in the States the Arab world can learn a lot from. And there are many things mm. that the American world can learn a lot from the Arab can world. Learn, yeah. um, like we can learn a lot from family structure we could like it but that you know there's a lot of things the arab world can learn from here as well and the one of those is that um balance having a finding a balance i mean we're not very good at that either but um finding a balance you know that's what i do i mean we still we have our community we have our you know and if you come i always say this to people especially for clients who transition overseas coming to the states that's a hard transition and i'll tell them like if you just keep up with your prayers as you would over you know Keep up with your prayers. Go to the community. Get involved. Um, turn the holidays into your own Arab flair. Add your own Algerian, Tunisian, Moroccan, Lebanese. Like, add your own flair to things. Um, keep your culture alive, you know, because if you lose your identity, then you lose yourself. So, I, for me, I find what's my balance. I think I have a very fair ba balance between the two. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. that I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. I wanted to say amen, but it felt out of place <laughs> with the whole like <laughs> Muslim Middle Eastern conversation. But yeah, I guess amen. Uh, Faiza, look, you're so much fun to talk to. The only the only negative here was how shitty the internet has been and that we can't do this in person because I, I feel like you're the perfect type of guest to have in, in person. person. Yeah, like I feel your energy really would like people. radiate around the room yeah. and we'll like... <laughs> So hopefully there will come there a day where we can do this in person inshallah. and we can really inshallah. delve yes. into it, inshallah, hopefully. And thank you so much, yeah. honestly, you've been great. Yeah. Pleasure, you guys are amazing. Keep up the good work and yeah. Thank That's you. all applause. Everyone you. applause. You. We live for the applause, like Lady Gaga. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please make sure to like, follow, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Angami, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, and I'm a Sabal. Thank you. Also, we'd love your feedback, so please DM us on Instagram at Fauda2020.